Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor today, Jim Cubitt. Let's actually get into the teaching. Y'all ready? All right, because today we're going to talk about the authority of the believer. And this gets everybody excited, and I hope by the end you're still excited, because I'm going to put the truth on you. <laughs> um, so we're going to talk about the authority of the believer. I want you to understand that I'm teaching, I have a very linear way of thinking, which is probably good in some ways and bad in other ways, because it probably decreases my creativity, as it were. But I think this should equal this, should lead into this, that it ultimately becomes this. And so as we're talking about the blood the blood-bought life, what we have, who we are, what we have access to because of the blood. We, we've, I've been very intentional to teach in a very specific sequence. And so we talked first that without the blood, we wouldn't be saved. We wouldn't have the ability to be saved because God redeemed us by the blood. He bought us back from who we were so that we could belong to Him. That was the first lesson, right? And in that, that blood was sufficient to accomplish everything that was intended, it was intended to accomplish, up to and including our salvation. Being sufficient, we have victory, Jesus had victory over his enemies, both in heaven and on earth, under the earth, and death. And because of the victory we have, which is the lesson last week, we have been given authority. Correction. Because of the victory he had, has, we have been given authority. But it's important that we understand why we have this victory, why we have this authority. We have it because Jesus gave it to us. It's not yours. It's delegated to you. You've been entrusted with it to accomplish his greater goal. Does everybody understand where I'm coming from? So let me explain it this way. I think everybody has the idea, but let me illustrate it. When I became a police officer, I was a police officer for approximately 20 years, as many of you know. When I became a police officer, the sheriff said, here's your badge, gave me my credentials, gave me some advice, and then I got sent to another room where I was commanded to speak this out loud. This is the oath of office. This is me saying that the authority doesn't belong to me. I will not misuse it, and I have it because the sheriff gave it to me. I will abide by the laws of the land and will do everything I can to honor the badge in the state of Tennessee. This is the, kind of the same declaration we make when we become Christians. We have taken an oath of office as Christians. And because of that, much like as a police officer, I was then given authority to operate within the umbrella of the authority of the sheriff's office. And we have been given authority to operate under the umbrella, not of our authority, but of Christ's authority. Which means that we have to stay under that umbrella. We can't do what we want to do when we do, whenever we want to do. We're going to talk about that in a minute. It's authority that has been delegated to us. And any authority that's been delegated to you can be removed from you 
But praise God, if we act according to His will and do what the Word of God says, we don't have to worry about that. So I want to talk today about the authority of the believer. But before I do that, I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to recap a little bit of last week's sermon. And there's a reason why I'm going to do this. I'm going to go very verse-heavy at the beginning. So I need you to stretch your, stretch your fingers out. We're about to thumb through some Bible pages or get your thumb ready for those of y'all that use digital Bibles or whatever. Because I'm going to be very verse-intensive. Because I want to show you first that the victory isn't yours, it's Christ's victory. You're all, Pastor Jim, you covered that last week. That's right, but somebody may not have heard it last week that needs to hear it this week. So here we go. Point number one. And just so you know, I'm going to be reading out of Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and Mark 16, 14 through 20. Let me explain to you what these verses are. These verses are the Great Commission. And I know traditionally we think just as the Great Commission is 28, 18 through 20. But both of these are the same conversation. Matthew was told by the Spirit, apparently, to write down a piece of it. Mark was told, down, told by the Spirit, apparently, to write down another piece of it. But it's all the same conversation Jesus is having with his disciples before he ascends into heaven. And so to get a full picture of both the authority we've been given, who has it, and what we're supposed to do with it, we should look at both sets of verses. So we're going to start today with point number one, according to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. All authority, everybody say all authority, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That's not some authority, that's not most authority, that's not just a little bit of authority. He's been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus was victorious over his enemy and death, as we discussed last week. Let me reread some of these scriptures for you. Because I don't ever want you to take me at my word. I need you to understand that my opinion in regard to teaching and preaching is completely irrelevant. So let's take it to the word. And this is what the word says. The victory was complete over his enemies. Hebrews 10, 12 through 13 says, but he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, which means it was finished, waiting for the time onward until his enemies be made a footstool at his feet. So he's beat them. He's waiting for them to acknowledge that they've been beaten. That's it. But the victory has already been had over his enemy. Not only has he got victory over his enemies, according to the word, he's got complete victory over death Christians don't get excited about this enough there is no death for you there's transition for you death where is your sting that's a rhetorical question death doesn't have a sting why because according to the word of God Jesus Christ was the first fruits among those that are risen, among those that have been resurrected. And there's a, there's a text here, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let me turn there. It says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Don't get confused in the verbiage, just listen. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. 
And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ. He did not raise in, in, if, in fact, the dead are not raised. Are you catching these statements? If, in fact, the dead haven't been raised? For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sin. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are all of men most to be pitied. Man, that's sad. If Christ hadn't been raised. If Christ hadn't been raised, we're to be pitied. Our faith is vain. Our preaching is in vain. We've spoken against God. But praise God for verse 20. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who were asleep. Which means that none of those negative things are negative things. They're positive things because our faith isn't dead. Christ has been raised. We are no longer in our sins. Our faith is priceless, not worthless. We have been given true. We have given true testimony to God. Why? Because Christ has been raised and won the victory over death. It's Christ's victory. Remember I used the illustration of Sheriff. Sheriff wouldn't have the authority if he didn't win a victory somewhere. If he hadn't won an election, he would just be some dude. I know it's kind of a smaller, much smaller version of what we're talking about, but the truth is the truth. Had he not won that position, he wouldn't be able to delegate to me the authority of that position. But Christ won that over his enemies and over death. And because of that victory, he was established by God forever. Let me read this to you. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, talk about who Jesus was and what he did, that he was obedient even to the point of death on the cross. And verse, verse 9 says this, For this reason God also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. Ooh, that's, that's a lot of names. It is every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee, that's a lot of knees, will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue, that's a lot, that's a lot of tongues. Y'all feel where I'm coming from? There is nothing excluded from the authority of Christ Jesus. There is nothing excluded from the authority of Christ Jesus. So that they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In his victory, he has been glorified. He has been established forever by God. And every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow. And we worry about what's going on in our life. I don't want to make light of it. I do, I do kind of, I guess. We give too much weight to the things that Jesus Christ has already taken victory over. You're all, man, I watched the news the other day, and, and America is going to hell. Sadly, there's some portions of it that will. But at the end of the day, guess what's going to happen? Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. 
What are you worried about, Christian? There's no death for you. What are you worried about? Why are you concerned about what other people are doing? Instead of concerning yourself with what they're doing or worse than that, stressing about what they're doing, how about you get amongst them and tell them about the Jesus you serve so they'll quit doing it? But we need to acknowledge first that we have authority, we have victory because he had victory and gave us that authority. And he was given authority over everything. Ephesians 1, 20 through 21 says that he was given authority over all flesh and spirit. Colossians 1, 16 through 20 talks about he's given every part of the universe. He has reconciled every part of the universe to himself by his blood. Man, I think about this. This brings me a great deal of peace. Because we do live in a, a very tumultuous world. But when I think that there's never been a wave hit the ocean that Jesus didn't command to go there. There's never been a lightning bolt in the sky that Jesus didn't know was there. There's never been a planet that Jesus doesn't know the name of and where it's placed and what it's made of. The sun does exactly what the sun's commanded to do. All in obedience to the victory and the authority of of Christ Jesus. That's so good. You know why it's good? It's good because it's good. Because he's sovereign. Because he's all powerful. And capable of taking care of us. But it's super good. That's right, I said it. I got all 17 year old girl on you. It's super good. Because he gave you that authority. He gave you authority he delegated that authority to us but what we need to realize and this is point number two that we were given authority but for a purpose you go i have the authority of god and then they go do something stupid and they're all well why didn't that work because you stepped out from under the umbrella that you were given you assumed by yourself that you should do something that you haven't asked God whether you should do or you haven't heard from the spirit of God that you should do let me read the rest of the commission to you because all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth we've covered that go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit teaching them to deserve all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so he says, listen, you've been given it to, you've been given authority, I'm giving you the authority, that's why it says, therefore, it's all been given to me, therefore I give it to you to do this. That purpose is to point people to Jesus. There's a singular purpose you've been given the authority of God. To point people to Jesus. How do I know that? Because I've asked myself the question as you should. Why did Jesus come here in the first place? It's, it's interesting in, in Matthew when Jesus comes out of the desert. It said from that point forward. He declared. Anybody know what he declared? Repent. For the kingdom of God is near. 
there may be, maybe, there may be a thousand sub-reasons why he came. But the overarching reason he came is so that people could repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. Because there will be an age of accountability. There will be a, not an age, an age is in a time of accountability. And so we need to acknowledge that. And in order to ensure that that is accomplished, I'm going to endow you with special abilities. Hence the message of Mark. Remember, there's not a contradiction. They just recorded different things for different reasons. And he said to them, this is all as, as there be a commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation, which is to make disciples, baptize them, teach all that you've been commanded. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. He said, so you need to do that because if they don't hear my name, they're going to be condemned. They're condemned already according to John 3, 17 and 18. But if you'll tell them about me, they can be saved. So I'm going to give you some, some ability that you wouldn't have except that I gave it to you to accomplish that purpose. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name. Everybody say, in my name. That's very, very significant. Don't discount it. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. These are signs and wonders. But do you know why signs and wonders exist? Same reason signs exist everywhere. To point to and cause us to wonder about. And so he says, I'm commissioning you to do this, giving you the authority to do it for the greater purpose of telling people about me. And sometimes because people won't initially believe, I'm going to give you the authority and the ability to do things that seem so outlandish. You're going to speak in other tongues. You're going to put your hands on people. They're going to be healed. This is the truth even today. People say, well, that was for the first century church. Show me where that's true. I'll tell you that's not true. If it was available to the first century church, it's available to this century church. But we've been given that authority and the ability that we've been given for a singular purpose. And that is to glorify God, point people to Jesus. Because let me tell you, nothing will make people go, How, what, what happened there? Like praying for them and God healing them. In the right environment, someone speaking in tongues with an interpretation. I guarantee you, as a matter of fact, I know. Paul got bit by a snake. What did he do? Shook it off. And the people were all like, what? Tell me about that. And what did he tell them? He didn't say, yeah, that's cool. I got this immunity. He said, let me tell you about Jesus. Which is the reason that all of these signs exist. 
every place that you look or almost every place that you look i'd hate to say always although i'm relatively certain that's the case i can't clarify it exactly so i'm not going to say it. almost every place in scripture that jesus performed a miracle whether it's a healing or whatever Immediately following that, you hear the words, and they fell on their face and glorified God, or they glorified God. You've been given authority, but make sure that the authority that you're using is being used for the right purpose, which requires, and this is the third point, well, I thought it was, it is. I just can't find the actual point where it's written down. Here it is. We must be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to add two other S's, though, too. I'm going to add two other S's. We have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, submissive to the Holy Spirit, and sealed by the Holy Spirit. Which means we should do those things Use our authority as we hear the Spirit of God tell us to use our authority. Did you hear what I said? One of the questions that I hear faith healers get asked quite often, whatever that happens to mean, and I've even been asked myself, they say, do you believe in healing? I said, yeah, I do. I've, I've seen it happen. And I believed it could happen even before I saw it happen. They say, well, why don't you go down here to the hospital and start praying over everybody so that people jump out of their beds? And this is the answer I give them all the time. And it's the only answer that we have. Because I try to mirror Jesus, and Jesus didn't do anything. He didn't hear the Father say to do. And so I don't go to the hospital because God hadn't told me to do that. But I tell you what, if he told me to do that tomorrow, guess what I'd be? I'd spend my day in the hospital praying over folks. If they got healed, so be it. If they didn't, that's God's problem. But I'm not acting outside of what he told me to do. That's our responsibility, to do what he's called us to do in his timing. When we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, when we're submissive to the Holy Spirit, we'll recognize the truth that he does everything for his glory. Regardless of whether we think it's the right time or not. Let me, let me explain to you. So there's a, there's a story, a couple stories actually, probably more than that, I just isolated two. There's a story in the book of Acts about a lame beggar sat at the gate, gate beautiful. It's in Acts 3. I'm not going to go read it. But it says he was set there at the gate every day of his life. I'm assuming that meant every day he was able to sustain himself. I'm sure he wasn't put there the first day of his life. But he was set there where he begged for money. The gate beautiful is the main entrance into the temple. And there he sat, broken-bodied, and still broken, every time Jesus walked into the temple. Just get your head around that. Did Jesus not have compassion on that dude? Well, you know he did. He had perfect compassion. Everything he is, he is perfectly. Every time Jesus went to temple with his parents, Every annual sacrifice, every time he went there for an annual festival, every time he went there to worship, the day he flipped tables, he would have walked past this guy. Why didn't he heal him? Because God's concerned with his glory. 
and he doesn't do anything other than what he hears the father say. I don't know how or why Peter and John gave God more glory than Jesus would have. Maybe it was a time and maybe it was who was standing around. But when the time came and they were sensitive to the spirit and they reached down and grabbed him, he stood up and glorified God because they were sensitive to the spirit and submissive to the spirit which means sometimes being submissive to the spirit it may sound like don't do that right now wait now's the time to water not to pluck fruit oh man but I really want to be the guy to pray over people and they're healed and when God tells you to do that do it but if you do it outside of his calling to do that you're going to step out from under that umbrella and you're not going to see that happen and it's going to discourage you and them. I think about the lady of, at the well, the, the Samaritan woman that Jesus met at the well. You ever think about this lady? Like I, I've sat and thought about this lady and how hard her life must have been. For those of you that don't know, there was a lady that was, she was divorced several times, I think five times. She was divorced five times. And she was so shamed by her community that she wouldn't go draw water during the mornings like everybody else would. She had to go in the middle of the heat of the day to draw water so she didn't have to see anybody. More specifically, so they wouldn't have to look at her. And Jesus met her there one day and took all of that shame from her. Isn't that awesome? He said, man, I'm not only going to remove this shame from you, I'm going to give you a ministry. I want you to go tell everybody you know. Here's my question. Why didn't he do that the week before? He was all God and all man, which means he would have known that that woman a week before was still in her shame. He had just happened on her by accident. Oh, look, here's a woman of shame in her life. Why didn't he go the year before that or the year before that? Because he wasn't told to. But when he was obedient to the word of God, the sensitive and submissive to the spirit of God, he did what the father told him to do and that lady was out of her shame set free and was given a ministry to tell everybody she knew about the God that she served that's the true proper use of authority and that's so good that the God of the entire universe would empower us to do his work but remember I told you there's three S's not just two there's not just a sensitivity and a submissiveness, there's a sealed by. There's a story in your Bible in Acts 19. I'm going to read it. And I know I'm going a little bit over, but that's all right. I ain't mad. And if you are mad, you'll be all right. Acts 19, verses 13 through 16, reads like this. Still didn't turn to the right page. But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempting to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus. So they were going around. They didn't belong to Jesus, but they were using the name of Jesus. They weren't sealed by the Spirit, but they were trying to use the power of the Spirit. They didn't have authority, but they were trying to use the authority of the Spirit. Evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you, by Jesus whom Paul preaches. And so they're going around saying, 
demon come out of there in the name of Jesus. Let me tell you how dangerous that is. Matter of fact, I don't have to tell you. I'm going to read it to you. Seven sons of one Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who were doing this. But it doesn't, it doesn't matter who you are or who your mama or daddy is. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul. But who are you? Ooh, that's scary. I don't know if you guys have ever seen a manifestation of an evil spirit. It's a scary thing. And it's a real thing. You think the spirit realms are real? What are you doing here? I've seen my pastor deal with an evil spirit in a man. Before he'd started, he looked at the crowd, at the congregation, and said, Listen, if you're in here and you're not saved and you know you're not saved or you even have an idea that you might not be saved, you need to leave right now. Because when this thing comes out, it's going to look for some place to go. And I'll be honest with you, I was pretty certain I was saved, but I was all still. <laughs> you know? But what is my point? You better use the authority correctly, or this is going to happen. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them, and overpowered them. One dude overpowered seven dudes. This is history. This isn't make-believe. So that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. One dude with an evil spirit beat these guys up, stripped them naked, and ran them out of the house. Because they misused the authority that they've been given. Because they tried to use a relationship they weren't part of. Our responsibility is to be submissive in all of the victory that Jesus Christ gave us and the authority that he gave us through that victory. Our responsibility is to recognize that it's for a purpose and that purpose is to point others to him and to glorify God and that we have to be sensitive to, submissive to, and sealed by the Spirit of God. That's the authority that you have. And when we do those things, there's such a beautiful relationship there. You know, we've been doing communion the whole, this whole series. Every, every Sunday we've been taking communion. You know what communion means? It means to join together, to be in relationship with. That's the reason why we're taking the communion while we're communing together with the Spirit of God, remembering what He accomplished for us during this series. Because without the blood, we got nothing. And so, Trent, I'm going to have you come forward, you and your team, and we're going to take communion together, recognizing that we only have the ability to commune, to be in relationship, to use the authority to stand in the victory, to be sufficiently paid for and paid for because of the blood that Jesus Christ shed. Amen? But before we do that, I know I, I know I have a tendency to be like I, I like particular verses, and so you guys are, Pastor Jim uses that verse all the time, whatever that verse happens to be, and I like First Corinthians chapter eleven in regards to communion. 
because it shows us not only that God, what God did for us and our and the necessity to remember it, but it shows us how we should take it. A flippancy in communion is a dangerous thing. First Corinthians chapter eleven reads like this. Thank you, Trent, by the way, or whoever put this up here. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 reads like this. I'm going to start in verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. That's pretty heavy, right? But a man must examine himself. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So he's saying before you align yourself with the work of Christ, you better make sure that you're in Christ. Because you place yourself in a curse when you don't do that. When there's something standing between you and God. Let me tell you just as pointedly as I know how. If there's continuous engagement of sin in your life, you need to get rid of that right now before you take this. Because there's consequences. If you're not in relationship with Christ Jesus, if you've never given your life to the Lord, don't take this unless God is moving you by the power of His Holy Spirit to commit yourself to the Lord. And this is why. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. Weak, sick, and a number sleep because they took communion wrongly because they misaligned themselves with Christ, but still took communion. I love the fact that if this is true, that if some are weak, some are sick, and a number sleep, when they take wrongly, then the opposite must be true when they take it rightly. That many can be strong, many can be healthy, and many can be vibrant not asleep, passionate. It's up to you. But the command is to check yourself first, and so we do. Because the Bible says if we judge ourselves correctly, we won't be judged. So we're going to pray a prayer of repentance first, a prayer of self-examination. Because you may have dealt with that. I don't want to heap condemnation on you. There may, you may have dealt with your sin before you walked in here since then. But we're going to pray regardless. Father God, in Jesus' name, we love you and thank you that you love us. God, that you've given us your son Jesus is demonstrated through the elements of communion. That his body was broken, crushed. God, that he bore our iniquities, that his blood was shed so that we might be in covenant with you. God, we align ourselves with this, but not before we examine ourselves. God, if there's anything in me that is, shouldn't be in me, if there's a sin that I've not yet been made aware of that I've committed, I ask that you show it to me. Convict me of it. God, because I want to walk in righteousness. I want to be in expectation of the judgment. I don't want to be scared of it. God, I would pray the same thing over each of these people. If there's anything in their life, is they're having a personal conversation with you. I thank you that your word says that you're faithful to forgive us when we ask for forgiveness. But not only are you faithful to forgive us, you give us righteousness back. 
And so we worship you and we praise you. If there's any person in this room that doesn't know you at all, I pray this prayer, asking them to mirror it. Father God, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I declare Jesus Christ is Lord and that you have raised him from the dead. God, I turn away from that sin, but more than that, I turn towards your son, Jesus. And I ask that by your spirit, you strengthen me to walk in accordance with your word all the days of my life. I praise you because you will, because your word says that you will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And so, having done that, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, also after supper, saying, This is the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But can I tell you, this proclamation can't just be inward, it has to be outward too. I haven't dealt with this verse much with you guys. But a proclamation is both internal and external. Because you have privilege and access to the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, it's our responsibility to make sure other people know about him, that they may have the same access we have until his return. Amen? Let me pray as close. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to come into your house today. We thank you for your word, that you make it clear. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for life change. We thank you that you are still in the business of loving us, of being compassionate towards us. God, we thank you for the authority we've been given, but let us not walk in it flippantly. Let us understand why it was given to us. And with that in mind, God, we ask that you give us opportunity to tell other people about who you are. God, that we have an opportunity to hear the pain of others. Have a heart to reach to those that need your help. We thank you that you've determined to use us to accomplish that task. That you've given us the ministry of reconciliation. When you could have done it yourself, you didn't need us. But you used us anyway. My prayer is that you continue to use us. We praise you and thank you for who you are. And we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.